First Chronicles chapter 28 is where we're going to be. Turn in your Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 28. We're going to start off in verses 1 through 9, and then you'll have to kind of stay with me. I'm going to hop down a chapter uh, to chapter 29, and, uh, and so this is, uh, we've kind of been in in, in the life of David this summer as a youth ministry. We've been working through a Bible study together on the life of, da- of David. And so that's kind of where my heart is. Those are the things I've been thinking about. Uh, and so a lot of times whenever I'm thinking about what am I going to preach on, uh, it's just kind of the overflow of wherever I'm at in the Bible. And, uh, and so, because I only get to do this like once a year or so. So what else should I talk about, right? I mean, uh, it's not like I can do a series. Uh, so you may wish I would have done a series like after this. Like I could make a sermon series instead of keeping you like extra. So um, <laughs> I'll try to get done in time. First Chronicles 28. David assembled at Jerusalem. All the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that served the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of all the property and livestock of the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the seasoned warriors. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. But God said to me, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader and in the house of Judah, my father's house and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. And all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, It is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Now, First Chronicles 29, skip down. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, for the palace will not be for a man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that, I have provided for the holy house. I have a treasure of my own. Of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for laying the walls of the house, and for all the work to be done by craftsmen. Gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly? 
consecrating himself today to the Lord. Then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands, of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Will you pray with me? Father, as we look at these passages uh, here, Lord, at the, towards the end of David's life, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to not just see a bunch of lists. I know there's just a bunch of lists there of things, um, but Lord, I pray that we would see Behind the list is a generous heart, a heart that is super excited about what God is doing. And still, even in, even in the last days of his life, God, we see a heart of a man who says, man, I want to give it all for God. I want to give everything I have for his glory. A heart that says, this is bigger than me. There's something bigger than me that's been going on forever and that will be going on long after I'm gone. And it is, it is God's glory and God's name that will be lifted up um, here in Israel and to the nations. Uh, Lord, help us to learn from David. Help us to receive from his heart today a heart that is like his, a heart that, that, that is so excited about what you are doing that wants to participate in it. God, with all our hearts, um, God, give us that kind of a, a purpose. Give us that kind of focus. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question that I want to kind of ask this morning that I think is going to be a thread that hopefully kind of connects everything in my sermon is this question, will you be defined by your circumstances or will you be defined by God? So, so in, in other words, will your life when you go through difficult times or hard times, will you look at those circumstances and think, okay, well, I'm a failure now because my circumstances show that I'm a failure or things are hard right now. Uh, so, so my circumstances are going to define me because things are hard or because things are tough. Uh, I'm a failure now. So like, because I'm a failure, like that's going to be the thing that defines me. Or will you look to God? Will you keep your eyes Godward and say, God, okay, yeah, maybe I did fail, <laughs> but God, you're a God who can restore failures. <laughs> uh, you're a God who, who takes people even through hard times and, and uses hard times for your glory. So will you be defined by your circumstances or will you be defined by your God? Enter David, the shepherd boy who became a warrior, the warrior who became a fugitive, the fugitive who became a king, the king who became a fornicating murderer, the murderer who became a dysfunctional father, the dysfunctional father who leaves a legacy of godliness to his son Solomon. In First Chronicles 28 and 29, uh, the strength of David's youth is, is pretty much all but gone. He's not the warrior king anymore. He's not fighting battles. The days of being king are all behind him. David's close to the end of his life. 
the coronation of Solomon, it's already happened. Solomon's already been crowned the next king of Israel. It's really not about who's going to be king, but the question David's trying to, to answer here is, what kind of king is Solomon going to be? And what kind of people are the people of Israel going to be going forward? So David's calls a family meeting of sorts. Y'all, y'all familiar with family meetings, right? You rally the troops, you get everybody together. That's, that's what David's done. He's called all the leaders, all the key leaders of the nation of Israel, all the mighty men. You remember the mighty men, uh, David's buddies, right? He's called all the mighty men together. And, and we're, hey, everybody, we're getting together we're going to have a meeting. If, if you're maybe the United States, you call, you'd maybe call it the State of the Union Address, right? Uh, it's, it's even bigger than that. You know, uh, you know, if you're a football team, right, you, have, you huddle, right? Everybody, huddle! Remember that? You know, hey, everybody get together. Everybody get in here. We got some things we need to talk about. Everybody gather in uh, tonight. You know, if you're a church, we're going to have a business meeting. <laughs> we're, we're huddling together as a family. We're going to talk about some big things going on in our church right now. And what I want to argue this morning is that family meetings like this one are essential and, and often are overlooked things of, that they're so important. And, and one of the reasons for that, I think, is this. How many of you have been to meetings that are just kind of meetings for meetings sake? And don't you hate those? Like, it's just a meeting and it's just like, what are we, why are we here? What are we... I mean, did we really need to meet? You know, we're not really talking about anything. This seems, just seems pointless. This seems like a waste of time. Uh, I, I could be at home and, and I could be mowing my lawn. You know, why, why are we doing this? Um, and this is not that kind of meeting. And, and I think we can take some, hopefully some keys from the way David leads this meeting to hopefully make our family meetings better, to hopefully make if you're on a team, if you're meeting with a group of people for a purpose, uh, we're getting ready to meet with our youth leaders here uh, in a couple weeks to talk about the fall and get ready for uh, discipling students and, and what, what is ministry going to look like this fall. I know Pastor Dan is getting ready to meet with our team kid leaders and, and that team here in a few weeks to talk about what the fall is going to look like for them. But why, do, why are meetings like this so important? That's, that's the argument I want to make uh, as we kind of start this. And one of the reasons why I think meetings like this are important is because we need to be reminded of what are the big things. What is our purpose? And, and, and our purpose as a church is nothing less than the name of Jesus being lifted up, right? As Savior, as Lord, as King, we're lifting up the gospel, uh, that is our purpose. It's, it's our purpose here in Woodward, amen, and it's our purpose to the nations, that his name might be lifted up as the name above all names, as the Savior and Lord of all. <laughs> of all. Uh, and, and so we want to lift him up. That's, that's one of the big, that's the biggest vision that you can have, right? There's nothing bigger. There's nothing more important. And, and the reason we need to have these kind of meetings where we remind ourselves of the big pieces is because this guy right here is sinful. <laughs> and, and I have a tendency to lose focus. Anybody else experience that? I have the tendency to, to, to kind of start making big things out of things that are little things. <laughs> I, I tend to get things out of order a lot of times. And because of that, I need to regularly remind myself that the gospel is the big thing, that God's glory is the big thing, 
sometimes I think we make the assumption that, well, everybody basically knows the big things. So do we really need to talk about it? I mean, I mean, everybody knows, generally speaking, what we're about. I think that's a terrible assumption to make. <laughs> I think it's a terrible assumption to make. And besides that, when something's big, when something's important, we talk about it. It doesn't matter if everybody knows that that's the big thing. We need to talk about it even more because it is the big thing, because it is the important thing. So don't make the mistake of everybody, generally speaking, knows what we're about. And I think this is the other mistake is sometimes we wait until the wheels fall off <laughs> to talk about the big thing. <laughs> Let's not wait for that. Let's be intentional about regularly meeting together to talk about the big thing. So first question I would challenge you with this morning, dads, moms, grandpas, grandmas, families, team leaders, when was the last time you called it a meeting, a family meeting, a meeting where you talked about the big thing. This is what we're about, guys. Don't forget it. We need to remember this. I need to be reminded of it. I need to remind you of it. When was the last time you had a family meeting like that? The, the next piece here that we see is, I think, that is huge. And, and I, I picture this in my mind, and, and, and maybe your imagination will go here with me a little bit. So family meetings, one of the cool things about family meetings is they're, they're meant to be a conversation, right? Uh, it's not just an address. It's not just a speech. But it's meant to have responses to invite conversation. And I think this is one of those kind of family meetings where, where David is, is looking eyeball to eyeball with guys that he has fought and bled beside. He's looking eyeball to eyeball with his sons that he loves and he wants to leave a godly legacy to. He's looking eyeball to eyeball with the nation of Israel. And he's saying, hey guys, this is what we need to be about. And it invites a response. And the question here in this passage is, Maybe like Solomon, like how is Solomon going to respond to this blessing? Is Solomon going to receive it? Is he going to say, okay, dad, you're right. This is going to shape my life, what you shared, these words of wisdom. And I picture David's wrinkled face. You can maybe picture it with me, right? And he looks down at his son. And I, I just love this passage here. Solomon you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart. Can you see him? Can you see David looking at his son eyeball to eyeball? Son, this is the big thing. This is the big piece. Don't miss it. Don't get distracted. You're going to have a lot of people that are influential in your life and they're going to try to get you off track. They're going to try to give you good counsel. But if it goes away from this, don't listen to it. Son, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. Son, don't lose focus. Know the, know the God of your father. Know him, love him. He loves you. <laughs> and he holds out this legacy for Solomon. Now, 
we could go into talking about Solomon and how Solomon responds to that, but honestly, we don't have time. And and I'm actually more concerned this morning with you and me, because some of us have been handed a godly legacy. Somebody in your life, maybe a grandma, maybe a grandpa, maybe a mom, maybe a dad, has held out to you a godly legacy, a legacy of faith, a legacy of repentance, turning away from sin, turning to faith in Jesus and saying, I'm going to be a Jesus follower. And you've got to watch their life. You've got to watch them live a life of faithfulness, a life of of humble trust in Jesus. And they've held that legacy out to you. What's your response to that legacy that's being handed out to you? And honestly, some of us may be here this morning and we've been running from that legacy. Um, and I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why you might be running from that legacy. It could be a lot of different things. Uh, maybe some of you, maybe you see, you see not only the legacy of godliness, but maybe you see the failures in that person's life. You see the moral failures. You see the, the times where they've blown it. Don't you think David had those, right? We know all about that. David had those failures. Solomon could have been like, ah, yeah, but dad, you really blew it here. You know what? Everybody knows that David's a sinner. (laughs) That's no secret. It's no mystery. In fact, the Bible tells us that's exactly why Jesus had to come, right? Jesus didn't come to save perfect people. Jesus didn't come to save righteous people. He came to save sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We're all that. That's all of us. That's the gospel. That's the faith legacy that's being passed down to us is we're all sinners and we all need a savior. And Jesus, oh, what a savior. Put your faith and trust in him. Receive this gift, this legacy. Don't run from it. And here's the other thing. Don't take it for granted. I think this is the other error that we might make when it comes to a faith legacy. We, we make the mistake of thinking that, oh yeah, they, they lived a faithful Christian life. They lived a life and walked closely with God. And so I kind of get that by proxy now. Like, like just because they, they lived that way, like, and I saw it happen, like, well, that, yeah, oh, good old grandma. She prayed for me and she lived out a faithful love for Jesus, but it never becomes personal to you. That's not the way faith works. That's not the way this works. And David is telling Solomon that, right? He's saying, dude, you need to walk with God. It's not enough that I walked with God. You need to walk with God. This faith has to be personal. You need to not look at your circumstances. You need to turn your eyes Godward. You need to allow the glory of God to fill your sight and your mind and your heart in such a way that it shapes the way you look at the world. God needs to be the central focus of your life, Solomon. It's not enough that it was the central focus of my life. This is the legacy. You have to have this. Receive it. Don't miss it. Will you receive that legacy? Have you received that legacy into your life? We're 
going to kind of eavesdrop on this family meeting. And as we're kind of eavesdropping and looking at David this morning, we're going to see, I think, what is most important to him. And again, we're coming back to this central sentence, so don't forget it, right? We're not allowing our circumstances to define us or our identity, but we're actually looking to God and we're allowing God and our focus on him to define us and, and to also give us the ability to make sense out of our circumstances. And in the light of God's glory, we're going to be better able to understand um, ourselves and our circumstances. So the humble beginnings of the shepherd boy. Uh, you guys remember David, David the shepherd boy. And, uh, you know, so Saul has been rejected as king. God commissions Samuel the prophet to go to the house of Jesse and to basically anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king. Samuel doesn't know who, and he gets there, and he starts going from son to son. He sees Eliab, the oldest son, and right away, Samuel's response is like, man, this Eliab dude, look at him. He just looks like a king. Surely the Lord's anointed is right in front of me. And God stops him. He says, the Spirit of God stops him. He says, hold on, Samuel. You need to understand something. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And I've rejected this guy. He's not, the, he's not the king that I've chosen for Israel. And so he goes son to son, right? Nope, not this one. Nope, not this one. Nope, not this one. And he's like, okay, we're running out of sons, right? There's nobody else here. God, um, what's going on? He goes, Jesse, is this everybody? And Jesse's like, well, there's one other guy, but he's out watching the sheep. It's the youngest. Surely, you know, pick again, right? You know, uh, and, and he's like, all right, no, you go get Jess or you go get David. We're not going to sit down until he gets here. And so they bring in David and, and he's the guy. He's the guy that God has chosen because God looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance. But again and again, at this early part of David's life, everybody around him is reminding him that he's just a shepherd boy. Like he's got humble beginnings here and everybody's saying, no, David, it's not you. You're, you're, you're just a shepherd boy. Even the story of Goliath, we all remember the story of Goliath. I don't have to, to go into great detail there, but remember over and over again when David shows up and God puts on his heart to fight this, this warrior of the Philistines, like everybody's reminding David, like Eliab first, his older brother's like, David, why aren't you at home watching the sheep? So he reminds him of that. He goes to King Saul and King Saul says to David, hey, hold on a second, buddy. I appreciate your zeal here, but you're just a boy and Goliath has been a warrior all his life. You don't know what you're, you don't know what you're signing up for here, boy. Then he goes out to Goliath, and Goliath reminds David of who he is, right? And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at, come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know, know what? That there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So Goliath is talking trash. This is kind of what we would call it in our modern vernacular, right? He's talking trash. I think he's really trying to intimidate David. I think he's looking at this boy, and I think he thinks that when he basically speaks to David, I think he thinks David's going to wet his pants and run away. I think that's what he thinks is going to happen. And I think it probably surprised Goliath a little bit when this shepherd boy dressed in shepherd's clothing. He's not, even in, he's not even dressed in armor. He's not even dressed for battle, okay? He's, he's dressed as a shepherd. And I think he expects this, but I think it must have surprised Goliath a little bit when David held his gaze. Because I'm just imagining these two guys, that their eyes are locked. And David <laughs> responds with this God-glorifying response. Again, he's not allowing the circumstances, superior weaponry, superior training, superior warrior, stronger, bigger. He's not focused on any of that. What his focus is, is on God and God's glory. And he says, hey, buddy, it's all about God. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's all about God. So David man, demonstrates this incredible attitude of humility and being all about what God is about. Uh, his humble beginnings, he doesn't allow that to define him, but he trusts God to do what only God can do. Uh, that God is a God who uses, he exalts humble people. God is a God who exalts humble people. First uh, Peter 5, 5 through 7 is one of my favorite passages. And this is a a passage that probably a lot of you are familiar with, but this is one that I have to kind of continually remind myself of as, as I go through life. Uh, and sometimes it's because I feel defeated. Anybody ever feel defeated? Like, ah, I just blew it. Um, sometimes it's because I, I need to remind myself of it because I'm getting a little puffed up. Anybody ever get a little puffed up and think you're something? Uh, yeah, so, so, so sometimes I have to remind myself of it because of that. And Peter writes this, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God's a God who loves to use humble people. Don't believe the lie that because of a humble beginning, don't believe the lie because of whatever your past is that God can't use you. Uh, God can use you for his glory. So David rises to a rock star status almost overnight after he kills Goliath. Uh, and I use rock star because, you know, I mean, like, like women are singing songs about him, right? I mean, they're like, you know, cooing over him. He's like the next greatest sensation um, and, and his, everything's great and, and God puts David in a position where he's doing great things for the people of Israel and um, man, everything seems to be going really awesome for David uh, but again, you got to remember 
King Saul has been rejected by God as king, and King Saul is not where he needs to be. His heart's not where it should be right now. And so Saul, instead of rejoicing that, man, God has sent me this incredible warrior who is a blessing to me. Uh, He's a blessing to my family. He's a blessing to the nation of Israel. Saul only sees David through a lens of, man, I'm jealous of him. I'm jealous of his success. I'm supposed to be the king. I'm supposed to be the one that women are singing songs about. You know, what? who's this guy? And he gets very jealous, jealous to the point of he wants to kill David. And uh, so this kind of brings David into a part of his life where, where I think one of the easy ways of saying it would be, life's just not fair. Like, this, like I didn't sign up for this. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like, man, I, I didn't do anything to deserve this. Like, I did not sign up for life to be this way. Um, David's been doing everything right. He's a blessing to King Saul. But he spends the next eight to ten years of his life as a fugitive. All because Saul's jealous of him. All because he's really honoring God with his life. Um, And yet, through all of that, again, we come back to our central thread he keeps his focus somehow, he keeps it Godward. He doesn't look at his circumstances. He doesn't look at the unfairness of life. He doesn't focus on, man, Saul is sinning against me. He doesn't keep that as his focus. He focuses on God. And First uh, Samuel 26, I love this passage. First uh, Samuel 26, 23 through 25, I think gives us a little snapshot of one of these situations. So Saul will kind of make these little journeys, these missions. He finds out where David is and he goes to try to kill David. And uh, one of these, he's, he's, his army is around him and they've kind of bedded down for the night. They're camping. They're look, they've been looking for David all day and they're kind of camped out. And it, it tells us that, that Saul's spear is, is in the ground. It's like kind of stabbed in the ground, standing there next to his head. And, uh, and so, so David shows up and uh, him and his men are able to kind of sneak into camp while Saul and his men are sleeping. And he's actually able to grab Saul's spear. So picture this. So they're sleeping. There's probably snoring going on, but they're like being really quiet, sneaking in. I mean, he has a chance right there to end Saul. <laughs> And they sneak out of the camp. And I just always picture it as there's like a rock outcropping or something that's just out of distance so they're kind of safe, but it's close enough to where they can still talk and have a conversation. And, and they kind of get up on this rock outcropping and I think David raises up Saul's spear and he probably kind of gives a shout and wakes up Saul's men and, and, and wakes up Saul. You know, he's like, hey, anybody know whose spear this is? Anybody missing a spear? <laughs> You know, and so they look up, and of course it's Saul's spear he's holding up, and, and, and then they have this conversation. David says, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. Again, we see this picture of, 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 of David. And where's his focus? Is his focus on the circumstances? Is his focus on the unfairness of life? No, his focus is on God. I trust God. 
I trust that he's going to take care of this. So David, he kind of goes through all this stuff. Eventually Saul, uh, Saul actually dies tragically um, and, uh, and David becomes king. And, uh, and so kind of David enters into a time of great prosperity in his life. Uh, so he becomes king. He's winning lots of victories for God's people. And just things are going really awesome. Um, and this is just how life goes. But isn't it true that many times our focus on God is a lot clearer when things are hard? You know, so we're going through difficult times and, and we're trusting God. We're, 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 we're living our life faithfully. We're being faithful to God and to his promises. But then life gets good. And then all of a sudden we relax and our focus gets way off. Uh, I know that's been true in my life and it's definitely true here in David's life. David enters into this time of prosperity and it says he relaxes. You know, he should go out to battle at the time uh, when the kings go to battle and when he's supposed to be out fighting the, the wars and, and fighting for God's people, uh, he relaxes and he stays home. He stays home and he doesn't go out like he's supposed to. And a lot of times, I think what we are tempted to do, we're like, we, we trace David's big screw up to David and Bathsheba, right? We, we automatically think of that story and, and that that's the thing that, that triggers these chain of events of tragic events in David's life. But I would argue that it's not David and Bathsheba that sets off this chain of events. I would argue that it's actually David relaxing spiritually. I think there's a relaxing spiritually that happens there because of prosperity, because things are going good. Let's take heed. Maybe some of us are going through a time of prosperity right now. Things are good, and we're tempted to relax spiritually instead of being out fighting for God's people, fighting for God's glory. Uh, let's, let's not allow our prosperity to distract us from where our focus is, needs to be. Let's be on guard. So David goes through this, these chain of just, just tragic events in his life. Um, and I kind of list these here because... I'll just be honest, as I was looking at First Chronicles 28 and 29 this week, like I'm like, how, how does David get there? Like how does David get to First Chronicles 28 and 29 when he's had all these horrible tragic events that happened? Like, like just one of the, any of those events in his life. So you got, uh, so David and Bathsheba, he murders Uriah, uh, uh, Bathsheba's wife. Then Amnon, his, his son, murder. Amnon, his son, rapes Tamar, right? Then Absalom, his son, murders Amnon. So, so all this is going on. These are his children. These are his children. And, and the heart of a parent has to be breaking at this point. Um, and so then, then Absalom has a coup, right? He, he overthrows David's kingdom and, and he places himself as king. Uh, and, and so then what happens to Absalom? Well, David's mighty men, those that are loyal to following him, they hunt Absalom down and they kill him. And, and like, so all these, like just one of any one of those events would be enough to crush a man, to leave a man just reeling, to leave a man just emotionally, relationally, just crushed, almost incapable of going on with life. But that's not the David that we see in First Chronicles 28 and 29, is it? we still see a guy who has a fiery passion and faith and love for God. And one of the things that I think I would say to that is, 
when we sin, and some of us may be here this morning, maybe we've got sin in our past, maybe we've got failures in our past, maybe we've got failures right now in our present that we're reeling from, that we're dealing with, and we're believing a lie, a lie that says you are disqualified for God ever using you again. You're disqualified. God can't use you anymore because this sin is in your life, because this failure is in your life. And and I hope one of the things that we can grab onto from David is God was not done with David yet. His moral failures, yeah, they were great and there were consequences to him, but God still had a plan for this man. And in God's grace, God still was able to restore. Even, Even him in these horrible mistakes, God was able to restore him. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I know that's New Testament, right? How does that apply to Old Testament? Well, I think it does apply. Psalm 51. Uh, psalm 51 is a psalm that David wrote after Nathan the prophet confronted him about the sin of him and Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, Verse 9, listen to this. See if this sounds anything like 1 John 1, 9 to you. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Do you see the spirit there? Repentance, faith in the God of salvation. He's he's trusting. Man, God's the only one that can... restore me. God's the only one that can forgive me. God, I repent of my sin. I admit I'm guilty. Forgive me. Will you forgive me? Will you restore me, God? He's trusting in God and God's grace. God is a God who restores, a God who saves. So the other piece here as as we look at David is David's an old man, right? Uh, He's at the end of his life. Um, He is He's, he's tired, right? He's not the mighty warrior that he once was. His body has worn out. Um, he, he's also been told no by God, right? So he wanted to build a temple. Like he was super excited about building a place of worship. And God said, no, sorry, David, you don't get to do that. You're not the one that I've chosen to do that. I've chosen your son, Solomon, to do that. Uh, have you ever been told no by God? Has there been, ever been something maybe really good that you wanted to do? And like, for whatever reason, God says, no, that's not what I have for you. And sometimes we can kind of find ourselves in that place of, of old age or being told no by God. And I think we're tempted to say, okay, well, if I don't get to do that, you know, kind of the old saying that we used to use was, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going home. <laughs> Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go sit in the back row and I'm just going to sit back and observe. I'm not going to participate anymore. David refuses to do that. David's heart, again, he's not looking at his circumstances, but he's focused on God. And he says, all right, God, your plan's better than mine. I trust you. And so how can I continue to participate in what you're doing? And the, way, the answer that David comes up with is sacrificial generosity. 
He finds ways to support Solomon. He finds ways to encourage the nation of Israel to move forward with God's plan, right? Uh, And it's beautiful. So David, his faith is strong, even though his body's old, even though he's worn out, he's not passing on a smoldering and weak legacy to the next generation. Rather, it's a bonfire. He's passing on a bonfire of God's glory and zeal and love. Listen to what he says in 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 13. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise you, praise your glorious name. David comes to the end of his life and and he he says, you know what? This kingdom, it's not about me. It's bigger than me. It's not about Solomon. It's about God and it's about forever. It's been going on forever and it's going to continue going on forever, even beyond me. It's all about God. It's all about his glory. As I was looking at kind of this, this thread this week and just kind of wrapping this sermon just around this idea of not focusing on our circumstances, but focusing on God's glory and kind of keeping our eyes Godward and allowing that to define our lives. Uh, I, I didn't even see this until yesterday. I think whenever we look at a godly man's life, not on purpose necessarily, but almost just by accident, like all of a sudden maybe a picture of Jesus appears and, and I think we see that here in the life of David, uh, a picture of Jesus. Now, it's not perfect, right? Because David's got flaws. David's a sinner. Uh, it's not a perfect picture, but there is this picture that I think is unmistakable where we see Jesus. David, the humble shepherd boy from Bethlehem who conquers the enemies of God, of God's people. He becomes their king And how does he end his life? By giving sacrificially out of his own riches to make a place of worship where God's people can meet with God. Do you see the picture there? It sounds a lot like another boy, doesn't it? Now, again, it's not perfect, but here's the king of kings, Jesus, right? He humbles himself and he's born in an obscure place, a little town called Bethlehem, <laughs> right? And as he gets older, he becomes a great warrior who defeats man's greatest enemy, <laughs> our enemy, the enemy of sin. Where all, else, all other men fail, Jesus, the mighty warrior, takes sin down and defeats sin for all of us that our relationship with God can be restored. He does this by laying down his life on the cross. And so we have Jesus, the king, suspended between heaven and earth, between holy God and sinful man. And out of his riches, this king, the king of kings, he pays. He pays with his precious blood out of his treasury so that a place of worship, 
a place of meeting between God and man can be built. Now, it's not a building, right? Jesus isn't building a temple. That place of gathering, that place of meeting between God and man is himself. (laughs) Our high priest, Jesus, makes a way for us to be connected to the Father, a place where we can worship him without shame and with gladness and joy. We can be reunited with God. How will you respond to this overwhelming tidal wave of love? Jesus paying out of his treasury to rescue us. Will you fool yourself and say, no thanks, Jesus. Me and God have another deal. We've got a different thing going on. I've got a different way of getting to God. What deal could be better than that deal? What deal could be better than the deal that God has provided for us in Jesus? Jesus is the deal. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way that we can be reconciled and have a relationship with God. Repent of any foolish, petty ideas of deal-making with God. Bow your knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and worship him alone. Find life and forgiveness in him alone. I'm going to invite Bonnie to come and close us in a closing song. And as she's coming, this is a time of invitation. This is a time for you to respond to God's word and how God has spoken to you this morning through his word. Maybe some of you are here this morning and the way you need to respond is um, maybe you've believed some of these lies that we talked about. Maybe you believed that, man, my sin has disqualified me. There's not a way forward for me. I've been given the death sentence And there's not a way for me to be used by God anymore. Man, reject that lie. Repent this morning. Put your faith in Jesus. Receive the forgiveness that is there for you in him. Be restored. God's got a purpose. God's got a plan for your life. Maybe you're going through some tough circumstances and they're hard to explain. And you've been just looking at them, wrestling with them, looking at the circumstances. Lift your eyes to heaven. Lift your eyes to God. Allow God and his glory, allow focusing on him to remind you of what your identity really is. There's something bigger going on than just your circumstances. It's about God's glory. Trust in him. Let him give you sight. Let him give you the understanding that you need. Wherever you're at this morning, um, maybe there's a legacy that's been held out to you this morning. And, uh, You've been running from that legacy. Won't you receive uh, the legacy of the gospel this morning? Bonnie, will you close us and you respond however God leads you this morning.